You're listening to the New York Encounter podcast. The 2023 New York Encounter just wrapped up, and we'd like to thank the over 400 volunteers who came to New York to help make it possible. We also want to thank everyone who made a financial contribution to the New York Encounter this year. And if you haven't, it's not too late. You can always head to newyorkencounter.org donate and contribute today. Good evening, everyone. Welcome back. We're here at the Sheen Center. I don't think we've mentioned that yet tonight. We're at the Sheen Center with wonderful people here taking care of us. We're keeping very socially distanced, wearing masks. We're not on stage, but right now we're keeping very socially distanced from each other, just to let you know. And tonight, we are here to celebrate the publication of this book, The Relevance of the Stars, by Lorenzo Albacete. And really, tonight is a celebration not just of this book, but of the man himself, Lorenzo Albacete. He was a scientist, a priest, a friend to many people, personal friend to everybody who's going to be appearing tonight, but a friend to many, many people. He wrote for the New York Times. You'll find out a lot more about him and why we going to all the trouble of having this night. I'm very happy that we're here doing this tonight. We were going to have a mariachi band, actually, on stage, but they got stuck in the Holland Tunnel, unfortunately. I, I wanted to have fireworks, but the Sheen Center said we couldn't do that, unfortunately. But before we get into this book, I would like to have a conversation here with, or an introduction to, Mr. Stephen Sanchez, who is the president of the Albacete Forum. Stephen, over to you. Tell us about the forum and about your relationship with Monsignor. Thank you, John. I'm so happy to be here tonight and to uh, share the virtual stage at the very least with uh, the editors of this very, very important book, uh, Gregory Wolf and Lisa Lacona. Um, I, I think that it's hard not to uh, talk about my personal experience with Lorenzo. I met him uh, a couple of times in college. He had come to speak at my university, but more importantly, it was a moment when I met him um, and this was, uh, gosh, around 2004, and I was in Minnesota, and um, I had the opportunity to attend this thing that we call the National Dacania, and there um, I went up to speak in the microphone to ask a question or share an experience, and uh, Monsignor was there, uh, and I had not really gotten to know him. I had met him, but not gotten to know him, and as I approach the microphone, I hear... Um, and start to chuckle in this kind of deep throaty way that he does. <laughs> um, and as um, I got closer, the experience, uh, he he stops me and he says uh, in his in his voice, which I love to imitate, but I won't tonight. But he says, you are an answer of the virgin to my life. Uh, and he says, since I met these people, these skinny Italians, I have been praying for someone to come to this movement that is fatter than me. And here you are. Um, and I, I remember laughing, but I remember more importantly that I thought to myself, this man sees me. Uh, this man sees me. He sees everything that I am because no one would ever have the audacity to say something like that. Um, and that first encounter with him became a fascination with, uh, with not only his, uh, the way he looked at things and the way he described things, but with him. With someone who could look at me in honesty and truth and love me and uh, and invite me into that uh, intimacy with him. And from that moment on, I was uh, an Albaceteite, right, if you could say that. Um, 
over time, I, I came to know the, the, the depth of this man, to laugh to absolute hilarity at many of his comments and to uh, be profoundly moved by the way in which he engaged, uh, the way that he looked at the church, the way that he looked at the world, the way that he looked at science. Um, he was fascinating. Um, and not only was he fascinating for me personally, but I saw that he had that effect on everyone around him. And every chance I got, I took people to meet him. Um, and I was lucky at the end of his life to be with him many, many times, visiting him in his home, uh, and then eventually in the hospital, in the nursing homes, and uh, even on the last day that he was with us here on this earth. Uh, and he never ceased to be, for me personally, a person of, of, of depth and warmth and humor uh, to the very, very end. Um, and when I was asked by, uh, by you and Lisa and Oliveta at the very beginning of the Albacete Forum to join you in, in this work, I, I couldn't but say yes, because to say no would be to say no to Monsignor. And not only was that hard to do, but it's something that I had never done. Um, and so the Albacete Forum was created, right, as a way of continuing Monsignor's legacy and as a way of capturing the, the um, by the way, hidden, many, many hidden writings of Monsignor. Uh, he spoke everywhere, but he wrote most of his notes on napkins and in old notebooks that he picked up. He loved paper and he loved pens. Um, and in the cleaning out of his house, we found thousands of pages, thousands of pages of his work. Um, and that began this archival process of making sure that those, those writings didn't get lost and that we could try to make sense of them. And making sense of them is not easy. And so the, the editors of this book have done a, a big work of not only finding writings, but putting together, piecing together notes from classes he gave, from talks he gave, from his random uh, thoughts on, on matters and collecting those and, and putting them together in a way that really, I think, is very much... Um, in tune with who he was. Um, and so the forum works to do that, to continue Monsignor's legacy, to invite people who've never heard of him to meet him, um, and to give a place for his uh, thought and for his um, personality to continue to provoke us. I think that Monsignor's life was a great gift to the church and to the world. Um, and anyone who met him knows that. But more importantly, um, we know that that legacy is going to last for, um, we hope, right, millennia, um, because he had a, a way of looking at things that was deeply and profoundly Christian, uh, moved by his encounter with, with, as he would say, Jesus, and, uh, and continues to this day uh, for many of us to be one of those awakening experiences for our own lives, for our own life of, of, as being people who sought and seek the truth um, and want to know the, the, this mystery that he was fascinated by that lied behind the corner of every reality that he encountered. Um, and so the Office of the Forum is very happy to, um, to have uh, been a part of this work. Uh, we're happy with our partnership with Slant Books and with Greg and Lisa uh, who really did a fascinating and, and tireless effort to put this together. And John, to you personally, for the work on this exhibit of the Albacete Show, which, quite frankly, um, 
I I feel a little bit guilty because I know that it has been a ton of work for you personally and um, and at the beginning uh, we were sure that this was going to be a terrible idea but I appeal to you personally because living through this pandemic living through all of the experiences of it the the voice that I kept wishing I could hear was his um, and so I said that to you and you uh, and you I'm very grateful to you you said. Okay, for that, for for that, I I can I can begin to look into this work, and what has come out of it is exciting and beautiful, and I'm super happy that the the world gets to see this because they get to see and get to know uh, Monsignor right in the way that uh, even better than I knew him right because there are so many things, so many surprises here uh, and in this book, and so. I'm just grateful to be here tonight, grateful to share the stage with these uh, three people who have done such an amazing work uh, at, at making sure that Monsignor's legacy continues. Um, and as the president of the forum, I'm just really uh, happy and, and grateful to thank uh, these three. And then also the hidden behind the scenes one who will be annoyed with me that I mentioned her, but Oliveta Deneze for all of her work too at organizing all of these things. and and. Uh, lighting fires uh, underneath us when they needed to be lit um, and then running away and giving us the responsibility to put them out. But uh, super gl uh, glad to be here. Thank you very much. And I'm excited to, to be a part of this conversation and to see how all of it unfolds. Thank you, John. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you for listening to the New York Encounter podcast. The New York Encounter is a three-day cultural event that takes place every President's Day weekend in Manhattan. Every year, we bring together speakers, put on exhibits, and host musical shows, offering opportunities for education, dialogue, and friendship. Following St. Paul's suggestion to test everything and retain what is good, the encounter aims to discover, affirm, and offer to everyone truly human expressions of the desire for truth, beauty, and justice. To learn more about the New York Encounter, visit newyorkencounter.org. And so now let's talk about this book, this beautiful book, it's really, uh, even a physically beautiful book, uh, really well put together, well published. And uh, so I'm here to talk with Gregory Wolf and Lisa Lacona, the editors of The Relevance of the Stars. Uh, Greg is the uh, editor of Slam Books. Lisa is, you might be familiar with her writings in Magnificat and elsewhere, both very talented, very intelligent people people who had a very great knowledge of Monsignor. And so I would like to start off this conversation, Greg, by asking, what made you want to publish this book? Uh, gratitude. Uh, it felt for me like the character in the medieval uh, fable who doesn't know what to give the, as a gift to the Blessed Virgin Mary, but because he's a juggler, ultimately he juggles for her and she accepts his gift. I feel like publishing and editing is what I know how to do. And for Monsignor, you know, I was aware that he was someone who, let's just say, was disorganized. <laughs> and that included what we've already heard about, the way he treated his writings. And uh, I felt, you know, not only the, you know, the irritation of an, that, as one person might be annoyed with somebody who is disorganized, but I also felt the beauty that he was somebody who, he really went from moment to moment, living in the moment, and speaking to whatever group asked him to, and there were many, and he would do these things, and he wouldn't work on, 
you know, polishing every draft or worrying about collecting these things for publication. You had just a marvelous freedom to be present to the moment and not worry about legacy. That's what, that's what we need to do. And so putting the book together is a, is a, is a way of just um, helping people to sense the power of this man's presence as a human being. And we'll hear many stories about the character, but also of his mind. We shouldn't be afraid of that. I mean, he was a serious thinker. and he. But the beauty was that he always knew how to make it accessible, how to write in ways that were concrete, story-driven, and personal to people. And so that's been the joy of putting this collection together. Thank you. And I would just correct you. You're not just good at your job. You're great at your job. So let's get that straight. Got it. Uh, Lisa. You have a very particular relationship with Monsignor that's very different than the relationships that we had with him. And I'd like you to explain, first of all, uh, your relationship with Monsignor, how you met him, and how that led you into the work of the forum. Thank you, John. Um, well, I'm, when I met Monsignor, it was the early 90s. Uh, it was a graduate student just out of my undergraduate. Um, years and really an ambitious theology student. I was at the John Paul II Institute, super excited to be there, um, super serious, and expecting every class to be, you know, a high-powered introduction to the the art and discipline of theology. So much to my surprise, of course, one day I was in a class in my first class with Monsignor, and um, the class started. 10 or 15 minutes late. We're all just kind of, students are milling around wondering where is the professor. He comes in, uh, rotund Puerto Rican Monsignor, smoke wafting around him, uh, powdered sugar on his lapel. And um, it probably was another 10 or 15 minutes before the class started because he was telling jokes and stories and um, and that was, the, that was the introduction everybody got to Monsignor. <laughs> but when you're expecting a lecture, when you're sitting with, with your pen in hand, you know, and you're ready to get something, it was, it was at the moment when it happened, I was shocked. I was shocked. Um, and, but you know, shock soon gave way to affection, excitement, surprise, because um, what you saw was what you got with Monsignor Abbasete. He was uh, disorganized impoverished in some ways, and wholly present to you, wholly there. And you know, I, I, I was thinking about it on the drive down, and I thought, when you study theology, I mean, the theology is the study of the Word of God, right? And with Monsignor, the Word became flesh. I mean, you just were present to someone who was not just doing this as an academic discipline, but was living it as their life. And you know, it, it was exciting to do this book because the the theme of faith and life is, is present throughout the entire book in different ways. And what Monsignor gave me, and I, I share the same feeling that Greg has, is total gratitude. I mean, he gave me theology as life. So it, it, was, it was transformative for me at that moment. Well, let's go a little deeper into what you said about uh, the contents of the book. What are people going to find uh, when they go out immediately after this conference and buy a copy of Relevance of the Stars. So what, what will people find in here? Uh, it's a question for both of you, but Greg, you can start. If you like. Well, they're gonna find a collection of essays and addresses that he gave. Um, they, as you can imagine, they're gonna start kind of with the broadest possible 
vision. So there's some beautiful essays in, in the first section that really talk about the nature of the state of the culture that we live in, um, the challenges that we face, particularly the, the problem of dualism, which he really wrestled with, um, which we can get into perhaps a little bit later in the conversation. Um, that moves on to a section which was really important about the American context. I mean, he's somebody who was writing as in a sort of an adoptive American, but he, he, he always had this background as somebody who was raised in Puerto Rico to be able to, and he, but he lived here for so many years, so he, he had sympathy, he had an awareness, but he also had a kind of perspective that was sort of angular, um, didn't take everything for granted, and so he really brought a very fresh approach to American history and American problems. And then there's a, a section um, or two that, per, that follow that uh, allow him to get drill down into more specific issues. He talks about the various professions, uh, Christianity and the law, Christianity and medicine, Christianity and the university. Um, each of them carries on the kind of overarching thematic concerns that are established in the, in the first part of the book. Lisa? Well, what you're gonna get when you buy this book is, is conversion. You're gonna get surprise. You're gonna get adventure. You know, it was funny, Greg and I were talking beforehand about what our favorite part of the book was, and every time I go through it, I like a different part more. I mean, nobody really could write like Monsignor. He could begin with something very mundane and draw you into something beautiful, mystical, exciting, very quickly. Um, and so I think that I think that in this moment, you know, in this moment where people where we're, we're struggling, this is a book that is going to really change people. It's going to enable them to encounter reality in a different way. Mm -hmm. So it's I, I it's it's a it's a book for this moment. And yeah, we'll get into that in a in a minute. I I do want to if you uh, go into the book, there are a couple of figures uh, who Monsignor uh, was always uh, pulling from different strands, different people, but there were a couple of people that were really uh, heavily involved in his life, which was uh, John Paul II, but also uh, Monsignor Luigi Giussani. And so if you would, Greg, take just a second to explain who was this guy Giussani and why was he important to Monsignor? Well, yeah, I think that the encounter that uh, Albacete had with Giussani was clearly for everyone who knew the story of what took place afterwards was decisive for his life in so many ways. I think Lorenzo Albacete was a gift to us because he came at just the right historic moment to synthesize the thought of three figures who had such a huge impact at the end of the 20th century. Luigi Giussani, the founder of Communion Liberation, John Paul II, and Benedict XVI. And, and these essays really are beautifully um, intuitive of these great thinkers and able to kind of channel them and contextualize them in ways that make their thought much less formidable than approaching them, you know, in the form of a big, heavy book by Ratzinger. Um, and I think, you know, there's a really dramatic dimension to the story of Monsignor Albacete. Uh, when he met Giussani, he was already pretty well on in years. He was a, a highly regarded churchman, friend to, to popes, John Paul II. 
He had the job of escorting Karawatiwa around Washington, D.C. when he made his visit just before he became John Paul II. And their friendship lasted uh, until John Paul's passing. Um, and uh, so here was this man who was able to um, command. He was an advisor to cardinals. But somebody suggests he meet this Italian priest. And he meets Giussani, and his life, life is transformed. Um, and he encounters a vision of the faith, a charism, a gift of the Holy Spirit, um, that essentially resonated, corresponded to his heart in a way that reinforced what he believed, but kind of caused him to upend his life and to put it in the pursuit of the vision of Monsignor Giussani. And, you know, this, this was not an easy decision. And it's one of the things that I'm most moved about in the story of Albacete, because he didn't need this. He, he could have been a mover and a shaker in the church in any case, any way he wanted to be. But he, he encountered something real and something that, that transformed, that spoke to the desire that he might not have even known that he had. And I just want to quote, if it's okay, it's a really short piece. We put this in the introduction, but it's so characteristic of Monsignor Albacete that I think it, it really gives you the flavor of the man, but also of the deeper human reality behind who this guy was. He wrote, and this was after, years after the, the kind of conversion to the charism of Father Giussani. He wrote, I am proud to consider myself a son of Father Giussani. I'm very tempted to Im imitate the accent myself too. But making me find it, no, sorry, I won't do that. <laughs> but making me find this towards the end of my life, I began to be even a little bit angry. The removal, the setting aside of whatever theological knowledge I had in order to try out what Father Giussani was trying to teach me was done because I knew that it was a fuller knowledge I set this anger aside because this path led to amazement. And for other reasons, it included the heart, the desires of a heart. The decision to try that out was a costly decision, but it was a decision that I made willingly. Why? Because I am very saintly? No, because what is at stake is my ass, the future of my ass. And that to me just, that sums it up. I mean, the irreverence, but also the seriousness, the sense that he'd, he'd encountered something that changed him, but also liberated him to be what he had always wanted to be. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I would just take a moment to pitch that, that, that story, uh, you're talk, the, the story of his relationship with Giussani and these things. If you want to know more about the, the man, there is this exhibit, the Albacete Show, that you'll be able to... Uh, visit during the encounter, and you'll be able to have encounters with some of the people who met uh, Monsignor Albacete during the actual encounter itself. You can go online, and, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. And You are listening to the New York Encounter podcast. The Encounter is entirely volunteer-run and donation-funded, and as you probably realize, it takes a lot of money every year to put it on. What that means is that if you want the Encounter to continue its work, we need your help. Head on over to newyorkencounter.org slash donate and consider making a monthly donation to sustain the encounter in its work. Thank you for your support. A bit. Lisa, I wanted to get back to the point you were talking about, about the relevance for today of this book. Why do you think it's important that at this particular moment in time, the relevance of the stars 
is being published. Okay, thanks. Um, you know, it's really interesting when when Greg and I started the process, we were we were really in the middle of the pandemic. I mean, maybe we're still in the middle of it. I don't know. Um, but also, of course, it was coming on on the heels of the protests in the summer. Um, after you know, and 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 right in this moment when we were going into the election, so we were seeing this uh, frenetic back and forth ideological battle going on. And um, and it just seems to me that looking at this year, I mean, I'm looking at this at this backdrop behind you here of the water splashing down. You know, the 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 theme that's being given for the encounter, and and we we just have been hit over and over and over. And yet the temptation I think is for us to seek the answer and kind of like rearranging the this worldly factors, right? If we just had a better government, if we just had a better system, if people just had lived with a certain, you know, different ideology in mind, a different philosophy, everything would be better, better education. Um, you know, what Monsignor Albacete is really about is the relevance of the stars, right? What does that mean? That's, you know, something is breaking into your life. Something is breaking into your reality, coming from the outside. The the stars, you know, this the title, it's, it's a beautiful title. It comes from um, a poem by Lorca, and it's a, it's a story. It's a story about a little ant that is, um, that happens to, lose her way from the rest of the ants and crawls up a tree and suddenly is facing the stars. And she comes back down to all the other ants and says, I've seen the stars, I've seen the stars. And what the other ants do is to proceed to kill her <laughs> because she's broken rank, right? She's, she's stepped out. And, and, um, and that, that was such a dear story to Monsignor. In fact, it was so dear to us that it's, it appears twice in the book. We couldn't cut, we decided we couldn't cut it. Um, and and what the, what that speaks to is this is this reality of something infinite, something mysterious, something um, if disturbing, even breaking in and waking us up. And and Monsignor, in the way that you've described him, in the way that way that Stephen described him, I mean, he was he was a man who lived with a total awareness to to this this something other breaking in, and. I just I think that that's really what we're we're looking for. We're we're looking to live without awareness. What is happening? What is the meaning of all this? We don't want to remain on the this worldly level. We want to let something else, you know, enter in. We want we want to let the stars enter in. Yeah. Did you have something to add to that, Craig? Well, I think you know, Monsignor always felt that you know, the biggest question of suffering was whether whether there's meaning to what's going on. That what people most want is not necessarily the, obviously they want an end to suffering, um, but but people know that it's coming and and it's going to come in different fashions. Um, the pandemic won't be the last blow um, that we experience in our lifetimes. Not to belittle it at all, because of course it's it's an all-encompassing reality for for the entire globe. But Monsignor also was very sensitive in his in his writings about um, suffering, and he said what people need most is a sense of meaning, a sense of solidarity, a sense that there is a possibility of a presence that accompanies us in our suffering. And in that sense, I think one of the things that he would say for us is that this this is a chance for us to awaken to our vulnerability, to admit, 
you know, our fragility, our weakness, our dependency, and ask ourselves, you know, where, where does certainty come from? Where, where does hope come from in our lives? What have we met that's able to speak to us across the chasm of the, you know, the practical issues that plague us of distancing and illness and suffering and political strife and racial strife? Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I think that's an aspect of his thought that I particularly appreciate. And we would be remiss if we did not mention the fact that um, this is really the first major book of Monsignor's writings to appear in 20 years. I mean, he published a book called God at the Ritz, which was had an impact on the culture. I mean, it came out of the blue. What does this mean? Because that's the way he looked at everything. And then silence. You know, he passed away in 2014, in October 2014. And uh, the forum, uh, I think one of the key things about the forum is the fact that he could have easily disappeared simply because, of the, as we said, a lot of the, his materials appeared um, digitally. Uh, he appeared on television and things. But it just, in the world we live in, everybody can, can disappear. And so... Uh, I think this book is really important that it, it, it's coming out. So very, very important that, that, that an event. This book is really an event. And so um, you were mentioning earlier about, uh, and I think Lisa, you can also touch on this, but he had this ability to reach people, every kind of person, every kind of person. So this book is really, I think, for every kind of person. You don't have to be an intellectual to... Re- buy and read the relevance of the stars. He, he wrote for everybody, and there are pieces in here right from, the, he addressed every kind of audience, so really, this book is for everybody, and how was he able to reach people in that way, do you think? Well, I think partly it was just he was able to be present to them, which meant to be aware of their reality outside of himself. He was somebody who asked questions, who listened, um, who was present to you, and who kind of evoked your own uh, made it made you want to talk about yourself. Made, made it made you want to share about what you cared about, what what your disappointments were, what your passions were. Um, and I think you know he was a great communicator, and and that means that he had many gifts, not only to kind of translate uh, complex theology into very concrete, earthy kind of language, but also, for example, I think one of his big one of the big contributions of this book is to help people. I mean, when people read the writings of Monsignor Giussani, they they sometimes smile because it's sort of written in a style that uses language a little differently than we do here in North America. And I and I think some people, you know, understand that that's a cultural difference of kind of rhetoric and the way that people use language. What I love about this book is that you know it is it is a deeply Giussanian work. But it's written in a language that is very much of an, a North American idiom. And in that sense, it really, I think, grounds some of Jasani's thoughts in ways that are fresh and arresting that I think will just increase the expanse of those who are going to be exposed to his thought and his passion and his, and his charism. So for me, that's you know, one of the beautiful side benefits of this book. It was funny because as I was preparing the exhibit, I don't want to spoil it. You have to really, I want you to go and see the Albacete show. So I'm not going to really talk that much about it. But one of the people is appearing with his wife and he's, ta- he's talking about this. And then she has in, and he was also funny, which is true. He, he had this deep uh, wisdom 
this deep insight, this deep intellect, but he was also funny. And how does that come into his writings, come into his work? It's so great that you're saying that because when you asked the question to Greg, the first thing I thought of was his humor. And, and Monsignor wasn't funny in the way of like, I'm, I'm a comedian, I'm, I'm impressing you all with my jokes. His humor was always this way to make space for other people. It was an invitation to his humanity. And so instead of being like overwhelmed by him, you'd be drawn toward him, you'd want to hang out with him. Um, you'd be drawn to the kind of person that, you know, maybe you'd, you'd usually be nervous around, right? Oh, he's a Monsignor, oh, he's a theologian, oh, he's a Catholic priest, you know? But instead, you just wanted to be with him. You know, when I was a student, there, were always, there, there, was, a, there was always a cluster of students gathered around him. Um, and I think that that's, I mean, that's not, that, that wasn't just accidental, that, that, was, that was who he was. And that comes through in this book in amazing ways. One of my favorite essays is the one that he is, it was an address he did for Catholic lawyers. And I thought, today when I was driving down, I was reflecting on it and I thought, you know, only Monsignor Albacete would begin an address to Catholic lawyers by talking about a crook. He literally has a story about a criminal who gets into a, a sneaks into a jewelry store with his cronies to steal some stuff, and and uh, they run into a statue of the Virgin Mary, and he says to his his friends, "We we have we have to leave. We can't steal anything." And they're like, "Why?" And and he says, "Well, because they're gonna they're gonna say she didn't protect them." This is a man who has a who has a relationship with the Virgin Mary, and that is gonna that is really intrinsic to who he is as a criminal. And as I was reflecting on this, I thought, you know, I would have started my talk with St. Thomas More, patron saint of lawyers. You know, I'm going to do a talk to Catholic lawyers. Well, the amazing thing is that Monsignor Abbasette manages to take that story about the criminal and bring it all the way home to Thomas More and show you how the criminal and St. Thomas More are working from the same awareness of something that amazing that has entered their life, this event that has entered their life. So it's, it's just brilliant. It's, and, and any, you know, anybody can, can enter into this. It's there. Um, I would also say there's a great address in here that he gave to youth ministers and youth and it's, it's synthetic. It's brilliant. I actually sat down and read it with my 16 year old. She loved it. Yeah. And, and Greg, you were, you were speaking before about he had this kind of sideways looking at things that really is uh, kind of captivating to anybody. It, it kind of, it, it's, it's almost like being on a, a, a thrill ride or something because you, you're, whoa, I'm in the car or something. And, and you know, I, but I, I want to ask you, uh, because I'm afraid I'm going to forget to ask this before we finish up. How, how did you guys, because as you said, there are, were a lot, there are a lot of writings out there and stuff. How did you choose the particular writings that appear, what process did you go through to choose those particular writings and, and put this book together? Well, of course, there was this very large archive that uh, is still very daunting to us in many ways. Um, and I think what we were looking for, we, what we realized, you know, talking about his ability to speak to all audiences and to all kind of walks of life, one of the things we realized was that he, he gave talks that were serious and intellectual to professional organizations, church organizations. He wrote short, more meditative pieces for places as diverse as the New York Times and Traces. And then there was the pastoral uh, work that he did, giving retreats for priests, for lay people. 
And what we thought, you know, would be really important to launch this process, which we hope, God willing, uh, will continue with future books, um, will be to just take the heavy-hitting stuff, the real, the thoughtful, well-argued, but accessible and quite occasionally funny and witty pieces that dealt with the big topics and and really show people, you know, because time passes and you lose touch with, the, you know, a human being's life and witness. And so we wanted to anchor it down with just reminding ourselves of, of how brilliant this man was. And his gift was taking that brilliance and articulating it in ways that were so accessible. But we wanted people to sense, this is the range of this man's interest. This is the range of his, his fascination with the world. <clears throat> and then we can, you know, once we have that salted away, we're able to consider like a more pastoral, meditative, reflective book of shorter reflections on life and <clears throat> what celibacy means to him, things like that. So we, we looked to a kind of uh, sequence that will really bring out all these different dimensions of his his witness. Now, okay, so all three of you have said something that really makes me, I, I want to direct, a, I want all three of you to try to answer this question. And starting with Stephen, um, what makes you think, and Stephen, when you asked, when you said, no, I said, there's no time to do an exhibit, that, because I've done exhibits for the New York Encounter before, and we have, we have a year to do the exhibit. I, and I, very thorough process, I had four months to pull this together, and it Turned out fantastic. You have to watch this. But um, Stephen was really pretty insistent that I do this, uh, and, along with Olivetta. And Stephen said, uh, I'll never forget, no, I really need Monsignor right now. So I, my question to you, and to briefly to each of you to answer this, is what makes you think that this man who is dead, who is not present in the pandemic, not present with any of the problems we're having right now, what made you possibly think that he could have any kind of relevance to the situation we're living today? What made you want him, as opposed to any, any other person, to, to, in your life right now? Yeah, I, th that's a, a great question. You know, and it wasn't just the pandemic, right? It was the experience also of um, all of the turmoil that we were experiencing as a country in the midst of the, the protests and the rioting. Uh, it was in the midst of the election, all of those things. But Monsignor had a way of cutting through a lot of the rhetoric, through a lot of the, um, the I, well, obviously the ideology, right? But, but through the, if you'll allow me, bullshit, right? Um, and getting to the heart of what was really at stake for for us um, and then also to doing it with a little bit of humor right everybody had a serious uh, reaction to what was going on uh, in the midst of the the various crises that we were experiencing the quarantine that we were living everybody had uh, really deep um, meaningful things to say uh, opinions about what was important and what we should care about and and, and not that Monsignor wouldn't have had that uh, he would have, right? He would have. He would have had a, a clear and and uh, decisive kind of feeling. But he would have felt it too. He would have shared his own fear, his own uh, anxiety, his own mess. Um, he would have admitted all of that, uh, and he would have made a joke. Uh, and all of those things together 
um, what I wanted, right? I wanted, gosh, you know, Monsignor had become, especially at the end of his life, very much a father, uh, maybe even a grandfather in some respects, right? Uh, Someone who had been there, had seen it, and who knew that this wasn't the final word. Um, And I, and I was, I was, I was missing that, right? Thank you. I was missing that that openness. Yeah, and I, and I think I would I would direct the question to you, Lisa, in a similar way. It's because it's very related. You have been engaged with this material very deeply, both you and Greg. But your your reaction to all this is to immediately see. I there is a connection immediately to all this stuff that's going on right now. And what it, where is that coming from in you? And and why do you say that? I mean, that seems that could seem absurd to many people. Why are you saying that? Well, the, to be honest, the very first thing that came into my mind was um, was Monsignor's appearance on, Char- on the Charlie Rose show after John Paul II died. I don't know if you saw that. Mm-hmm. It's on YouTube. Um, because Charlie Rose was like, you know, what are you going to do now that John Paul II is gone? And, and, and Monsignor said, he's not gone to me. I feel him very much present. And he's not gone to me. Monsignor is not gone to me. I feel him very much present. Um, I mean, that's part of what we're 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 invited into is a, is this greater communion, right? So that's part of the answer. But as par- as far as the as far as what came out of the writing and the this 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 particular task of editing the book. Um, I mean, I, I, I concur with Stephen, you know, every time I go in here, and I've read all of these essays many times now, I am, I find myself looking at reality dif- differently. I, I come, I've, I feel encouraged um, to look at it the way he looked at it, which to me is with a great deal of wonder and reverence and expectancy and, um, and poverty. You know, I, I, because, because how can, how can we live every day? How can, how can we live? Every, we can't, we can't, we, we're not the self-made men, we, or woman, you know, we, we, you know, and, and, and I find in here and what Monsignor, the way Monsignor approaches reality, you know, a way for me to live that is, that is full of joy, that is, that is, um, that is, that, that, that I'm suffering I know I'm suffering. I mean, I think that what you said, Greg, was absolutely right. But um, with an awareness that there's something else, there's someone other that is that is um, addressing me in this particular moment right now. And that's, I, I keep coming back to that every time I go in here. You are listening to the New York Encounter podcast. The Encounter is entirely volunteer run and donation funded. And as you probably realize, it takes a lot of money every year to put it on. What that means is that if you want The Encounter to continue its work, we need your help. Head on over to newyorkencounter.org donate and consider making a monthly donation to sustain The Encounter in its work. Thank you for your support. Hey, Greg, the, the way I want to ask it to you is that one day, this was like a year, over a year ago now probably, I got a text I, can't, I think it was a text from greg saying well what's going on with the books i'd be would there be any interest if we wanted to do something and i thought it was great but i was also a little bit surprised because slant is a fantastic publisher check out slant books website greg publishes some literature poetry 
and stuff. And so I was a little bit surprised that you wanted to do this, and very happy, by the way, very, very happy. But it was surprising to me, and I, I thought, and it, it brings up the question to me, why did you take on this task, which is, uh, what made you want to take on this task? Why are you motivated to make this man known to people? Well, <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I'm happy that uh, Monsignor Albacete is in the company of poets and, and, and fiction writers. I think he would have felt right at home there. In fact, I remember our very first conversation all the way back in 2002, we spoke for what seemed like hours, and this was the gift he had. I mean, it probably was maybe 45 minutes. But we spoke for hours about Flannery O'Connor and Walker Percy and their insights into the nature of modern man and the kind of ills that he suffers from, including this problem of dualism we talked about before. And I just love that he cared about these literary writers, that he wasn't just an abstract theologian who only read you know, abstract, abstruse works of theology, but but he loved to see how storytelling could incarnate these issues. And I think this, this whole question of dualism, the way that, particularly in the American tradition, American cultural tradition, where we have this, we have this temptation to separate faith from life, to make it, to separate the head and the heart, um, to become either abstract and ideological in some ways, to, to, to think that ideas will save us, or to become sentimental and moralistic and believe that only per behaving perfectly and making sure everyone else behaves perfectly will solve our problems. But in fact, you know, what he kept saying was, you know, moralism, doctrinalism, uh, activism, all of these isms are a way of avoiding an awareness of presence, of a presence that can change us, that can open us up to wonder and amazement and, and kind of thwart our, our attempt to impose abstract ideas and to label everybody. There's just a whole, an incarnational sacramental vision at the heart of this man's work that I think honestly, if it was truly disseminated into people's minds and hearts would, would be a great moment for the American church. And I, I, I hope it is. I, I think it will be with this book. And if I may take it just a second to answer my own question, as we we're wrapping up, that we got a signal that's the last few minutes of the uh, talk here. So uh, when Stephen asked me to do this exhibit, I was a little bit reluctant because of the time. But the working on the exhibit, which I'm not going to talk that much about, I really want you to see it. The only thing I'll say about it is that uh, when I was making this exhibit, Monsignor and I had talked but very generally, very briefly, about working together on things occasionally. But we never had the time to think. So really, the Albacete show is basically, the basic idea is if I had made a television show with Monsignor, what it generally would be like. So, uh, and it would be a wild ride. So that, that's what the exhibit is, a bit of a wild ride, I think. Um, but really, for me, working on this exhibit was really... Uh, a privilege in the same sense that you guys are talking about because it was really the opportunity to have, we went and had all these conversations with you guys and then uh, priests with uh, Cardinal O'Malley who was a very, very uh, dear friend, uh, 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 Cardinal Angelo Scola who introduced him to Jasani, but uh, uh, Helen Whitney, the producer who uh, did the frontline specials with him, but also uh, just people who uh, were touched by him. And so through all of these stories, really, uh, I came in without any idea of what it was going to be because I had four months. So like, how, how, like, how, this is just overwhelming to try to 
get, convey this man in four months. But what really started to happen was, and I'm, I'm really convinced that this was Albacete. I, I really felt him, his friendship, like over my shoulder with every single decision I made. Like, I was surprised so many times by the things that came up and the ideas that came up. And, and I really felt like him laughing as, as in a new idea would come up and I would be like, that's, yes, that's what we have to do here. This completely inappropriate, ridiculous thing is exactly what we have to do at this part, point in the exhibit. But, but what was really most moving, what really touched me the most working on the exhibit itself was to understand in a way that I had not before the humanity of Monsignor, that, which is always very evident, but the deep need he had for friendship with people, the deep, deep need. And, you know, I... As I was working on these gathering materials, I picked up my copy of God at the Ritz, which he had signed, and I hadn't looked at it in years. And he wrote, you know, I'm so glad you like the book. And then he wrote at the bottom, in deep friendship, at the bottom of the book. And it really struck me for the first time that that wasn't just uh, something he wrote. And I think he really meant that. And so I hope that when people go into the exhibit and when people go immediately after this talk is ended and you go onto your whatever site you want to go on to, whatever bookseller you want to, and you pick up a copy of this book. Monsignor would want me to pitch this book. He would be, if he was here right now, he'd be doing a song and dance, getting you to buy this book. And so I feel no hesitation in telling you to go out immediately and don't wait and buy the book. And also then click on the exhibit, okay? But I, I think that's the importance that in these works, in the work of the form, in the work that Slant's doing, and I hope there are more books, Greg. You did such a fa he did such a beautiful job. He and Lisa did such a beautiful job with this book. Uh, I, I'm, I'm really just, the, the day I got it, I was like, oh, this is crazy. It's wonderful. Uh, even with the fonts and everything, every decision is beautiful. Um, but um, I think through all of these works that are being done with love, being done with this, uh, as I think was all conveyed here through this tremendous energy, uh, that, that we can really help people, this, the humanity of Monsignor, the friendship of Monsignor, which I think is the most important thing, uh, to, to, to reach people. And so, um, uh, any last thought? I would just say, you know, the, the beauty is that there will be some people who will read the book because they knew Monsignor. But I think, you know, as time goes on, the book itself conveys so much of the flavor of who he is that people will intuit that personality and they'll get a twofer they'll get you know the ideas and the thoughts but they'll also get um the you know the kind of flavor of the man and that human presence the particular human personality i i mean i tell people what i say to, ultimately was my kind of bottom line about lorenzo albacetti was that he's a free man and there are very few people in my life who i've encountered um as having that kind of sense of freedom about them. That's not to say he didn't have burdens. He had, you can have heavy burdens, but inwardly be free. And that's why he was able to be playful. You play when you don't have to do something for utilitarian purpose or out of anxiety or out of pressure. You're free to kind of gamble through the world. And he did. And um, the one last thing I'll say is he took, after I'd met him, he took to when we would be in the same room and I would walk in the room and he'd be surrounded by people talking to him. He would take to saying, he would look up at me, then he would, his head would sink down and he would say, oh my God. As if, you know, oh God, look who's come in the room. Which I knew was both a kind of gentle way of keeping me humble, 
but also of showing his love and affection for me. Um, he was free, a free man, and I loved him. Lisa, last thought? I second everything Greg just said. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, um, I think that one of the things that I love about Monsignor's legacy is that it, it is, it, it's like, you know, it's like the pebble that gets dropped in the pond and there's these, this ripple effect. Um, I noticed that the encounter is having these conversations that are continuing through the course of the weekend with people that met Monsignor. And, um, and I wanted to click on every single one of those and register for every single one because that's the kind of person, you know, like I, I wanna catch every one of the ripples. Um, and so, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm encouraging everybody here to catch, wanna catch the ripples. Um, and I look forward to the next book. <laughs> Steven, I'm sure you're very happy to get this breaking news from Greg that he is interested in uh, getting more books out if we can. Yeah, we have plenty of material, so we're ready for that. And we're ready for the. And they did again. The Slam Books did such a great job on this. I really encourage you to to go out and and give yourself a present during this difficult uh, year we've had. Do yourself a favor and 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 pick up this book, The Relevance of the Stars, by Lorenzo Albacete. And so, uh, and also just to let you know, uh, the exhibit, uh, the Albacete show, will be available through the entire encounter, but also we have this wonderful thing that, you know, it's, it's, it's a shame. I miss not having all you guys here who are watching right now. I really miss you not being here with us. Um, but they've, the encounter has done a fantastic job of really trying to have a space where you can engage, where you can uh, really engage with people. And so throughout the encounter, you will be able to uh, have encounters with uh, not just the Abbasetti exhibit, but the Jasani exhibit um, uh, with people who knew that both men. And so you can s go onto the site and uh, sign up for those events. And then there are also many other things available to you on that website. So I, I probably was supposed to do some kind of announcements for tomorrow, but I forgive me, uh, organizers, but I did not prepare any. So what I would just tell you is go on the newyorkencounter.org website and um, and take advantage of everything that's there. And so I want to thank Greg Wolf, Lisa Lacona, the editors of The Relevance of the Stars. Uh, I want to thank them for the, the work they've done. And uh, Godspeed, I hope we sell a zillion copies this weekend. And, um, and Stephen, thank you. Thank you for pushing me to do the exhibit. Um, and thank you for the... Uh, work that we're doing together on the forum and I thank all of you for the work you're doing because it's that that work is uh is just really uh really enlivening and and really fun they I think the uh the work any work you do with Mon uh, Monsignor Abbasete is going to be fun it's just going to be fun so again thank you and good night Thank you for listening to the New York Encounter podcast. We hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please consider posting a review on whatever platform you listen on. Those reviews really help the podcast reach more listeners. If you share the podcast on social media, please tag the New York Encounter. On Twitter, we're at NY Encounter.